You're listening to the Tag Team Podcast, the podcast that is a WWE Network companion, currently covering 1984 WWF Tuesday Night Titans. And now here are your Tag Team Podcast hosts, Jeff Jones and John Burke. Hola, welcome to TNT Episode 6 of the Tag Team Podcast. Miyamo Juan Burke. I'm Jeff Jones. What you been up to, man? Oh, nothing. Awesome. Yeah, how about you, my friend? Apparently, podcast editing my second career. <laughs> Building the bank. That's hobby turned career? Yeah, freelance. I mean, it's a way to get your name out there. Exactly. So, in this episode, they have referees, and I'd like to speak on that. Oh, right. Reffed a few independent matches in my day, so I'd like to say that reffing isn't easy. Is there any uh, videos? Not, well, I take it back. There was a woman's match that a weird, creepy old guy was filming with a camcorder, and he was actually in the ring. We just ignored him like he wasn't there. There's no telling what that footage looks like. So is it re- creepy because he was recording women wrestling, or did he just look creepy? Uh, yeah. Okay, I don't know if he had one of those creeper ambiences, or if it's just some old dude with a camcorder you're like mm, this doesn't look right he did and it was just weird because it was an all-male independent promotion but they brought in females because this was during the 2001 2002 lita tristratus starting to gain some traction but he wanted to do his own thing before any people got there empty armory two ladies him in a camcorder and me in the ring it was interesting creepy old man if you're out there we need you to just take that video on youtube and uh email us at tag team podcast please to my knowledge that would be the only footage everything was 2002 2003 2001 somewhere in there so video on phone wasn't that popular no one had it pretty much you still had your nokia phones back then people weren't even texting so don't think there's any footage the phones that lasted forever Yep. And also were used as many devices after their shelf life expired. And they realized, hey, if we make them last forever, no one will come and get a new one. So we got to do something about that. Yep. I remember having mine and I had a clear case and it would glow. I had a sports case. I know it's hard to envision, but yeah, cut it off. You with a sports case? eBay. Went to about two or three of them. Those were cheap. The phone lasted, but the cases, not so much. No, you're exactly right. Especially the clear ones with the little lights. Yeah, if you just dropped it on your bed, it was game over. Yeah, always some good with some bad. Yeah, so it's always just the accessories that are going to get you. Let's say I actually went, was able to go to the flea market in Winston and pick up my phone accessories. Good old cooks. The most awkward place to run into somebody you know. <laughs> I don't think I've been there in like three or four years. Well, you're not missing nothing? Yeah, I was used to Florida flea markets. Cook seems to seem like more like full-time vendors, not people that fly by night and just trying to sell some stuff. Like the same people every time you go. So you're saying it was a big vagabond party? Yeah, Florida was outside and it was big. I don't know, have you ever been to the one? I'm trying to remember where exactly it's at. It's off 85. I want to say near Concord, but I could be wrong. Somewhere off 85, though, and it's outside. It's pretty big. They do have some indoor air-conditioned areas, though. That's probably one of my favorite ones to go to. I've only been to that one twice. Now, when I was younger, I used to go to the Virginia Flea Market that was a mile long. They had vendors out on the side of the road for miles, and it'd go all the way up to Virginia. Is that the one that takes place, like, once a year or something? Yes, that's it. That's where you go and you build up your haggle and charisma skills. Heard of it. Never been to it. And then you go haggle with the best. Uh, 
field trip. Yeah, they had ref on, so I just thought I'd speak a little on my past with that. It wasn't good. I didn't have any training, but I probably did maybe 10 matches or 11. And out of that, like six of them are on one night. So I've only been maybe on two or three shows total. It's a hard job, especially if you don't have the training. You can watch it enough times and kind of know what ref does, but still there's still little nuances that you don't always remember to do and things like that. It'll get you caught up. So I respect the refs to despite what this episode might show. Was there a lot of work into it? Because I hear a lot of times the referee is the last person to know anything. Did you have that or was yours pretty much straightforward? The first show I did was outside at a Hooters and basically I didn't know anything going in. I would check them for weapons, air quotes, and then basically ask them who's going over so I'd know, at least get a feel of one, two, and this guy's going to kick out because he's not supposed to go over. That's about all I knew going Going into it, they all said I did a good job. And other than the last match, which of course had all the talent on it, I didn't kick out in time, and I didn't ask who was going over because I kind of felt like, hey, there's actually names on this card. I imagine that's who's going over. But the guy didn't kick out. Already down three. I had a controversial moment there where I did count three, but we'd act like it was just two, so they could continue and have the finish that was planned. You mean two and three quarters? Exactly. That one had C.W. Anderson, more for ECW fame, and Lodi from Raven's Flock in it, and some local guy named Champagne. Oh, P A I N. Oh, yeah, it's crafty. Crafty son of a gun. Yeah. He's like Indy's local legend. I don't even know what's his territory, but the other indie wrestlers knew of him. I never did, but yeah, that was my first main event and botch, but we played it off. Did they get up and start arguing with you and shaking their fist? No. Oh. Lodi was kind of a... But huh, I want to see that. I don't know if anyone wants to see that. I think it was on like a Saturday or something. Might even been on like a Friday night. I don't remember. Now that you say that, I think my first or second year at my job, they had a wrestling ring out there in the Walmart parking lot. They were promoting something. No, no, it was the Aaron's Rent a Place up above where I work. They had a big wrestling ring they had outside. Very classy. We lucked out the weather was pretty decent and held up, but yeah, it was interesting. First and only time I've done it outside. So got that chance. Checked off the books. Been hit by a chair. Even though I was told the chair shot didn't look good, it did actually break skin. Had a little bit of a gash on my head. Nothing major. Probably about twice the size of a paper cut or three times. Should have bladed. It looked like I did. I was bleeding, but I wasn't taking aspirin or anything. Ah. Uh, wasn't gushing. You didn't prep for it. No, I didn't prep for it. I didn't know that night that's what I was going to be doing until they told me. Well, until it hit you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was the same night as the women's wrestling. All right, we are moving on to the recap of episode number five. Previously on the Tag Team Podcast. Well, we kicked off number five with Vince McMahon and Lord Alfred Hayes opening the show. Vince McMahon said that Alfred looks like he was a ball boy from Her Majesty's tennis games. Yep. And something about he was chasing balls, something. He's a ball chaser. And then we went to Cindy Lopper and Wendy Richter. Yep. Went through some training. Not too much there. And then Wendy joins the set and 
and Vince and Alfred Hayes, like two schoolboys, talking and smiling and greeting her. And then we move to Tony Riera. He joins the TNT set, talking about his singles competition and his quest to find a man to join his tag team uh, partnership, as he is wont to do. He's still looking for a tag team partner. It's an ongoing contest. I'm not sure if it's separate than Tito Santana's favorite wrestler contest or not, but it's an ongoing. So he's still looking for a man? Apparently so. I know we should team him up with Dr. D, but I think he's still looking for a man, too, that we can make a love connection. Didn't they already have American males? They got American Alpha. I think they had American males, too, in WCW. Scott Bagwell, Scotty Riggs. Well, this is before that, so. Oh, the original American males. <laughs> we'll just put new one for their name. It'll work. Exactly. And we had a match with Tony and Johnny Rods. Tony was victorious of that one. And then we moved on down to Jimmy Snuka versus Samu or Samoa number three yep. for those keeping up. And Snuka claimed victory of that match. See, we had Lord Alfred Hayes reads viewer mail. And after six episodes, we finally get an address to send our love mail to, which I have sent a postcard. And I don't know when I'll get it back. But when I do, I will let you guys know. I got a story on that. I'll save it for another podcast, though. Okay. Next. Next, we finally see Red Bastion after so many letters. And that dude's mom, we finally find him. And from there, we move on to seeing Dory Funk Jr. and the Red Bastion in action. It was a Texas death match with no commentary. After that, we move on to Greg Valentine. He joins the TNT set. And he wants to know, is this where the old wrestlers go once they retire? Referring to the furniture in the set. And next, a match for Greg Valentine and Tito Santana, which was a very interesting match, to say the least. And I believe Greg was victorious on that one You're correct and once we come back from the video we see greg valentine has a wife to join the set and talk about how much of a pussycat greg is and then it gets awkward from there very much so and then she says how he beats up random people to prove his toughness again and during that she talks about what she does to calm her man and to get him loose once he's come home from tour in the neighborhood beating up old people and she comes out in a bikini and heels there's a nice booty shot of her. All right, so after that, we go to the one, the only, the hot rod. Roddy Roddy Piper joins the set. And then we quickly go to a match of Roddy Piper versus SD Jones. And about a minute into the video, Roddy Piper decides that uh, we're tired of watching this and we want to move on with the show. So he demands the video to stop and he says, did I win? Well, why are we still watching? And Vince McMahon challenges Roddy Piper's musical skills to play bagpipes. And we see that he has no idea what he's doing. Of course, he didn't have the right bagpipes. There were some malfunctions as well. And that pans off. We go into a Scottish dancing demonstration, which was very nice. And then we go pan back, talk to Roddy Piper more about the Piper's Pit, where he breaks the coconut over Jimmy Snuka's head. Unaired edited footage. Which was very graphic. Yes. There was no blue screen, so I was appreciative, very appreciative. So as we come back from the video, we notice that Vince McMahon is rallying the hot rod up. Lord Alfred just sticks his head in just a little bit too far, and Piper's keeping the pent pan strong and proceeds to smack Mr. Alfred Hayes, which was beautiful, by the way. He... 
<laughs> Smack heard around the studio. It was quite amazing. Then we come back, we see the mark that was left by Piper, and they promised legal action, and Piper would never be returning to Tuesday Night Titans. And finally, we wrap it up with the fabulous Moolah versus Penny Mitchell for the women's match. The whore. Hora, not whore, ladies and gentlemen. And Moolah wins, of course. And now we are on to number six. And in between, we had a special edition, or it's our second special edition, the Brawl to End It All. It was on July 23rd, 1984, and it was mostly dark matches other than one match, which they actually did show on MTV. But lucky for us, the YouTube clips out there, you guys can watch it along either before or after you listen to that podcast. I don't want to get away any spoilers, but there is a 20-man battle royal in there. It's a rarity back then. That was before the Royal Rumble. 20-man battle royals were huge. And that was before the WCW battle royals where they put the two rings together. Yeah, the World War Three, Which I enjoyed. But on to six. Ready to do some territory talk? Let's do it. Let's talk May 1984 timeline with territories. Territory. Wrestling territories. And for you youngsters out there, <laughs> wrestling territories is something that may be foreign to you, but at one time in the United States alone, there were 25 or 30 wrestling territories that were headquartered around the country. This week on Wrestling Territory Talk, we're going to do Detroit, known as Big Time Wrestling, and a little bit of Canada with some Stampede Wrestling. Love me some Stampede. Yeah, I believe you got some on Big Time Wrestling. I do indeed. Big Time Wrestling. Detroit Territory has been a fixture in wrestling's history dating back to sometime in the 1920s. It was run by Nick Londos and Adam Westmuller. The promotion changed hands several times through the years finally ending up in the hands of the original Sheik Ed Barhat. Throughout the late 60s and 70s to until the promotion's demise in 1980, this hotbed of pro wrestling action has ingrained itself into the minds of many wrestling fans and had a lot of hardcore style matches. Now this is probably the hardest promotion to find a lot of information about. I guess because its heyday seemed to be mostly 60s, 70s, that there's not too much stuff out there for videos or things like that. You go YouTube and you might find a little bit, but not much. It's terrible. Yeah, Vince can't really buy a library when it's 60s, 70s. The footage just isn't going to be that good. I think it's so small, especially so early in the day. You know, as the new generation start coming up, I think they'll slowly start disappearing. It'll be there like in an archive, but it won't be as much. Big time wrestling, it was not. It was kind of small after it died out. Hard to find. And next up, the opposite. The better known, especially in the WWF, Stampede Wrestling, thanks to Stu Hart and Kids Bosley. Territory Talk. Stampede Wrestling. For much of the 20th century, Calgary was served promotionally by wrestler-turned-promoter Stu Hart's group, the Foothills Athletic Club Incorporated, which operated under the brand name Stampede Wrestling. Hart also had a separate office in Edmonton, and was a longtime member of the National Wrestling Alliance. Calgary was oftentimes looked at as the missing link between the popular American show style of pro wrestling and the more realistic Japanese style. It is also a territory seen as a training ground for many wrestlers who went on to international stardom. Hart's training facility, the Dungeon, is legendary within wrestling circles. 
the promotion competed with other promotions such as NWA All-Star Wrestling and Pacific Northwest Wrestling and regularly ran events in Calgary's Victoria Pavilion, Ogden Auditorium and the Stampede Corral between 1948 and 1984. Bought out by promoter Vince McMahon, the company was briefly run by the World Wrestling Federation, WWF, before being sold back to the Hart family the following year. Run by Bruce Hart until January 1990, he and Ross Hart reopened the promotion in 1999 and began running events in the Alberta area until 2008. WWE currently controls Stampede's extensive tape library. In December 2015, the WWE Network began adding Stampede Wrestling shows to its vault section. However, it was all removed a few days later, after Bret Hart proved that he owned the rights to the footage of his matches. Who screwed Bret now, Vince? <laughs> yeah, so I guess there are money concerns, because you go out on WWE Network now, there's not a lot out there for Stampede, so I guess they can't come to an agreement on money. Vince got what he had during the time. And after that, the rest belongs to Brett. I think Vince outlived Brett and bought. Take it back. Possibility. We Brett's health was going there for a while. Well, I was just referring to Vince McMahon being immortal. I thought it was Hulk Hogan. Well, I thought he was the immortal. They share the same brown bag. I mean, needle? Yeah. Yes. I'm very confident that Vince McMahon's going to live until the end of the world. <laughs> well, before long after I die, he'll be there. So, ready to recap episode six, January 24th, 1984 of Tuesday Night Titans? Let's do some recap. We open the show with our lovable two host, Vince McMahon and LAH. Lord Alfred Hayes. Do you remember what he jokes about Lord Alfred being this time? <laughs> Indeed. Vince McMahon references Lord Alfred Hayes as being the uncle of Inspector Caluso. Yeah. And for those that don't know who that is, it was the Pink Panther. Not the cartoon, the black and white series, but the actual movie, the Pink Panther. And I believe he states he's not as good as the Pink Panther at solving crimes. And then after that, they bring out our first guest, making his way from Korea, Tiger Chung Lee. And unlike the game, he is not female. Very disappointing. Sorry, man. I know you wanted that character out there. Who doesn't? Did you notice the oops noise around the 3 minute and 12 second mark? Nope, but I'm making note of it now, and I will go back and watch 3.27, you say? 3.12 on the network. 3.12, okay. But it's right as Tiger Lee comes out and starts to shake the hand of Vince McMahon. You hear, I'll assume it is the live band bumping into one of the equipment, <laughs> but it's very loud and very apparent. Nice. I don't know why I tuned out. I missed that. And while he's doing the interview, he speaks about the martial arts that he learned at a young age and he also describes the difference between karate and taekwondo yes i have a clip not to call karate they were called karate in the united states yes but korea called taekwondo taekwondo yes that is a difference everybody thinks in uh using to uh hold people but not we have to defend it defend it and uh to people to hold so basically, Taekwondo is defending and karate is offense, but not really. I mean, both can be used for either. I think the main point he was saying is he doesn't like to cut. I think that's what I got out of that also. I have a little history on Taekwondo. I took that when I was fifth, sixth grade, somewhere in there. Made it up to Greenbelt. Yeah. 
Did any of that help you when you were uh, having that chair flying at you? Did any, did any moves come back to you? No. I did break boards. Oh. Demonstration was not that impressive to me. I did that when I was like 10, dude. So whatever. Send your hate mail to John Burke at tagteampodcast.com. All right, moving on. Next thing we see is Tiger Chun Lee versus Steve Lombardi. And for extra bonus points, do you know who Steve Lombardi is? I think I do. Oh, because I have multiple choice awesome. or straight up okay. answer. Good. I like, well, I don't like multiple choice. I believe he's best known for the Brooklyn Brawler. You are correct. And I believe he run as Doink the Clown on house shows and some maybe generic slash late night, early morning WWF appearances. Yes, I will take both of those. Yes! Yeah, there's been lots of Doinks but yeah, he was a Brooklyn Brawler. He was kind of the S.D. Jones of his day once S.D. Jones left. He became the new S.D. Jones. Occasionally win, but most of the time he was just a celebrity loser. He did look familiar much younger but yeah still kind of see it i think the best thing about doing this podcast is seeing the wrestlers at their younger age and then going doing the research and then you see oh shit <laughs> he was really him or oh he was really him or oh what happened to him or her kind of deal so it's interesting to see the evolution of the wrestlers yeah, not the ones that you know, the ones that you don't know you really know. Yeah, like Johnny Ross. Oh, yes. Okay, you didn't do much, but you were a good trainer, apparently. Thank you. That's right, training the youth. But did you happen to notice anything at the start of this match? Uh, let's see. <laughs> Other than the, uh, the moment of silence we had as they started wrestling. <laughs> yes, that's what I was setting up for. The MOS. It can't be a Tuesday Night Titans without a little MOS. Here we go. Thirty-six seconds into the show, we got our MOS moment, and sound like maybe Mean Gene was placing his order for some food. I don't know. Oh, it was alcohol. Don't try to play food. <laughs> But, ladies and gentlemen, do not worry. I was able to get some of the commentary while he was taking his order. And it was only Mean Gene doing the commentary, so I feel somebody had to step in for that little bit while he was giving his order out. And actually, your theory we talked about offline, about why there's a moment of silence there, 100% accurate, of course. Closed captioning, sponsored in part by... The brand new official World Wrestling Federation magazine is now on sale. Read about Sergeant Slaughter's march into our nation's capital. Find out how Tito Santana made a young boy's dream come true. Read of the Beauty and the Beast, Captain Louis Albano and rock star Cindy Lauper. World champion Hulk Hogan visits with Johnny Carson and Brooke Shields, while the Samoans visit with Mr. T. Where's the beef? It's in Montreal. Visit with Andre the Giant, who invites you into his very own restaurant. All this and more in the official World Wrestling Federation magazine, now on sale at your local newsstand. Once the match starts out, Steve was getting the upper hand right out of the chute with some arm drags. Then Chun-Li decides to level the playing field with a kick to the stomach, which would then bring the advantage to him. Chun-Li takes it to the mat, and we don't see any martial arts moves quite yet. Granted, he was being defensive with the arm drags. I don't know if that's considered Taekwondo getting thrown around the ring, but I digress. <laughs> 
or Chudo. And through the match, Chun-Li then uses a reverse Inyun Deathlock. And if you guys need a image, it kind of looks like a modified sharpshooter. And then once he used that finishing move, Mr. Lombardi had no problem saying, get it off me. Get it off me. He's ready to go. It was a pretty quick match. I think it lasted about three minutes, two minutes, somewhere in there. Then once we come back to the studios, we see Tiger Chun-Li demonstrating how to break bricks. Do you have any intake or output for this? Man can break a brick. I think they kind of went the wrong order. I like to dub this as the Vince McMahon challenge because he did a brick first. That should have been the main event, not the curtain jerker. And then he does a board and Vince McMahon's challenges him can you do two boards and he does two boards and then vince is like ah but i don't think this has ever been done history of the world can you do three boards and he does three boards lasts his wrist does get the best of him and starts bleeding after the first brick but if i was setting up this demonstration the brick would have been the main event not the opener definitely now did you notice anything when he attempted to do the three one inch blocks well i know he needed total silence and vince kept interrupting him and making sure after the third attempt of breaking something that Alfred could actually see. That was nice of him, but should have done that after the first one or before the first one. Yes, he was not very happy. And I believe after Tiger Lee told Vince three times pretty much to shut up, either one of the camera crew or Lord Alfred Hayes said something after that as well. And Vince McMahon had to go in and reassure everybody to shut up. He needs concentration. Man has a bad wrist. That was with concentration. Come on. Yeah. Disgusting. After that, they end up going to another match. He gets two matches. And this match was kind of preluded and brawl to end it all. The only footage that we have of the brawl to end it all is on YouTube. And it's off somebody's VCR because you see the play button start in the beginning. But they also get some of this match. I'm guessing they watched Tuesday Night Titans and taped brawl for it all over it. Wise decision. It probably was the better of the two, at least for this episode. I'm not going to complain. I got to watch more than the people that actually watched the event got to watch. Nostalgia. I just wish the Tuesday Night Titans would have kept the old school commercials. I miss the old school commercials. The listeners will be happy to know if they skip the special edition that there is two commercials in the brawl that ended all. I won't spoil what they are, but there are two. Awesome. This also seemed to be a single commentary match. There was somebody else. I'm thinking it was Red Bastion because he does kind of pop in and out of his announcers. Oh, okay. But I, I couldn't place him who he was exactly, and I couldn't find any information on that match exactly. But Mean Gene and somebody else were talking because I remembered with the start off of the match, they had a face lock on, I believe it was Tiger Lee. No, no, it was Mr. Fuji. And Mr. Fuji kept putting his foot on the bottom rope to break the hold, and the Samoans kept kicking his foot off the rope. It's a smart move. Very smart. Yeah, it's be used more often. I couldn't tell. I don't know what Ray Stevens looks like, especially in 84. I remember seeing Mean Gene now and some guy with gray hair kind of looked like Freddie Miller, but I would have to think he would stay down there in Atlanta since that's where they actually shot World Championship Wrestling when Vince owned it. I don't think they'd fly him up for house shows. I'd used him as minimal as possible, but who knows? Yeah, there ain't no telling. So later on in the match, we would see Mr. Fuji getting worked over pretty good, and the Samoans did keep fresh tags in. The 
throughout the whole match, which was refreshing to see an actual tag match not be a singles match. Actually tag in and out. These new tag teams could take a lesson. Did you catch the one match point in the beginning where it's Chung Lee down with the Samoan, I believe it was number two, and Mr. Fuji comes in and kicks him to the back? But then Mean Gene doesn't want to say Pearl Harbor because Mr. Fuji is Japanese, and maybe he doesn't want to steal Rilla Monsoon's line, so he just goes with this little clip. Mr. Fuji, reminiscent of December 7th, 1941, coming in from the blind side, both... All those days were so much better. It's a little history lesson for Mean Gene. It's so easy to be offended. <laughs> That's what we're going to do from now on. We started wanting to offend people. We're just going to give dates. Let them figure it out. Yep. I don't want to say Pearl Harbor. We'll just say December 7th. You figure out if I'm complimenting you or insulting you, sir. <laughs> but no, I heard a stumble, but I'd catch what he said after. I thought a nice little tip of the hat to Gorilla Monsoon, but also, oh crap, this guy is Japanese. I don't want to say Pearl Harbor. I'll just say the date. Definitely. People that know the date won't know what I'm talking about. It was only 20-some years ago, so they should have it. That, I believe, Mr. Fuji, after receiving a very awkward in- inverted drop, tagged in Tiger Dan. After Mr. Fuji tagged in Tiger Chun-Li, the Samoans still got the best of Tiger Chun-Li, and every time Tiger would attempt to go make a tag, Fuji would act and lean over the rope as if he was wanting the tag, and then he would do the heel thing and walk away from the rope twice. And eventually, the Samoans went in with a double headbutt for the win. I think the second time Mr. Fuji he just leaves the apron all together and starts heading back to the locker room but comes back out because after the match yeah it's it's on it's retribution time well i was not able to see it because we were waiting on the sloppy slow replay that they proceeded to show instead of what was going on in the ring which made mean gene crack up as well yes and when we actually did get to see what we see by the way this is why it pays to see a live no replays we see fuji choking chun li with the microphone cord then lee happens to roll out of the ring grabs his kendo stick and then proceeds to go back into the ring waiting to shake hands with mr fuji tiger lee then Misses the blow with the kendo stick, smacking the top turnbuckle. Fuji happens to escape with his head barely intact, and he runs out. And Tiger Lee then issues a challenge on the microphone to Mr. Fuji. And I'm pretty sure that Tiger Lee will not be sending Mr. Fuji any more birthday invitations. Probably safe to say that Korea and Japan are now enemies. Very relevant. So after this, they go back to the studio and start a heated debate of Japanese martial arts versus Korean martial arts. And no one wants to offend anyone, so everyone just says it would be fun to watch, and I'm not sure who would win. Well, they did have very good uh, debates. Mr. Fuji was older, but more experienced. Tiger Lee, he is younger and bigger. They had a pretty good debate, but Mr. Hayes wasn't about to offend Chun-Li after the last episode of sticking his nose somewhere where it didn't belong. And he saw what he did to those three boards. Instead of the brick, yeah. Yeah, and to add salt to Tiger Chun-Li's wrist wound. Vince goes on after they had this whole talk about it's not karate, it's taekwondo, and Vince sends them off with a nice... Tiger Chung Lee, we would like to wish you the best of luck. We certainly enjoyed the karate demonstration. Ah, it's karate. Oh yeah, I'm sure that made Tiger Chung Lee kind of a little pissed that he didn't say taekwondo. But it's Vince's show, so learn to love it. I'm sure he was ready just to get off there anyway. He'd been out there way too long. <laughs> wasn't much of a tucker. So when we come back from break, we have Paul Orndorff versus B. Brian Blair. 
been a return bout from episode one of Tuesday Night Titans. And commentating this match is Gorilla Monsoon and the one and only Red Bastion. Now we know why he was on the East Coast. It was to get a job. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. Anything uh, stand out to you? Well, Paul Orndorff takes his Paula time on getting the match started. Seems to be an ongoing trend for Mr. Orndorff. Also did it in the brawl to end it all. Probably actually set some records on that. This one wasn't quite as long, but still was very painful to watch. And kind of almost wanted to fast forward to get to the match. Anything else you noticed? They both... Both were wearing black, except B. Brian Blair did get a little bit of distinction by going black and blue ring attire on his boots, where Paul Orndorff went with the more traditional black and white. Anything else? Mm, nope. That was all I noticed. So at the start of the match, we see in the video Paul Orndorff and Brian Blair's statistics. And then we see Paul Orndorff with Brian Blair's statistics and the title. So they swapped them? Well, they kept Paul Orndorff's name at the top, but they swapped statistics. And then finally they got it right. I would have just played it off. I mean, they're both from Tampa. You could say they're both about the same height. And then and of course, I'd have to lie about the weight because Paul's supposed to be the buffer, bigger guy. I could see the confusion. That's the first thing I noticed when it was Paul Orndorff versus Paul Orndorff. I sort of scratched my head. Oh, I did notice one other thing. The ring announcer got a story about him. Oh! Gary Michael Capetta. He's actually, back in the day, 2002, 1, or 3, those years run together for me. He was actually in Winston. He was at the Barnes & Noble. He was plugging away his book at the time. I should have it written down, but I don't. It's something of uh, Wrestling Pitchman. That's what it, the subtitle of it was. And he came there and read a little bit out of his book, signed a copy for me. It was pretty cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice to meet a legend. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Like, the picture that he had was a picture of him introducing Ric Flair, and he signed that. And then he signed his book. Ooh. What's that going for on eBay? I don't know. They still had some copies at Barnes & Nobles later on that year. I doubt they're still there now. They probably rotate stock even if they didn't sell out. But it was pretty cool just to hear his stories in person. It was free, so you can't beat that. And even did a little guest ring announcing for us. He announced Ric Flair in Barnes & Noble. So that was cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. It must have been awkward for the people who had no idea what was going on. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure it did. It's like, what the heck? He's announcing somebody and nobody shows up. <laughs> Total marked out there. I was the first guy that I met in the business that had some notoriety. It was before I reffed, I believe. Oh, it's cool, though. Getting to the match once, as you say, Paul taking his sweet time to get the match started. And we do see a fairly familiar referee in this match, Dick. I think he goes by Richard. Rich? Well, he's going to be Dick to me. <laughs> It'll be that to other people later on, too. <laughs> Rowley? Sure. I don't know. That's so weird. I'll go with that. Yeah. Dick, there you go. He kind of reminds me of Judge Mills Lane. Yeah, he does have that. If only he would have started, though. Let's get it on! He would have probably just made millions. Billions, at least, yes. Copyright. I don't think they did copyrights back in the day. They didn't know what that was yet. Nope. They totally plagiarized all kinds of music back then. It's good old days. Nope. If he'd have known trademark WWF when he had it, he wouldn't have lost it. 
Exactly. Oh, well. So we see Paul Orndorff, typical fashion, wrestling, going into the ropes, hiding, putting the referee in front of him. And finally, Paul waits for his chance. And then when the referee is actually in the corner, bent down a little bit to move Brian Blair away, Mr. Wonderful smacks him with a, no pun intended, wonderful forearm to the head, which that does give him the advantage right out the gate. And then Paul continues to beat on Blair until he makes one fatal mistake. He finally gets Blair to the ground, and for some reason, he wants to go to the top rope, which we know never works out. He jumps, nobody home. And it appears when he lands, he ends up tweaking his knee a bit. Blair smells the blood, sees the wound, and starts taking advantage of the situation. Blair continues to work the knee of Paul Orndorff throughout the whole match, which this was a long match versus the 10-minute time limit. They let it go. Seemed like it was about 11 minutes, but... It was a good match. Yeah, I give them that. Yeah. Especially the end was really good. So he continues to work the knee throughout the match. Blair comes back, picking the match up with speed, a couple of clotheslines. He does a couple of scoop slams on Paul. I think he went to the well one too many times because once he goes for another scoop slam, Paul happens to turn it into a small package for the win to beat Brian Blair. A good old small package. I show that a lot on wrestling nowadays. Usually they get distracted and then they get put in that and then one, two, three. Oh yeah. Overall, it was a good match. Brian Blair stepping up his calls a little bit there with Paul Orndorff. I say third time's the charm. We'll see. Let's see, we're on six now. Mm-hmm. So every five episodes they wrestle, come episode 11, it's be Brian Blair time. I will have the confetti and fireworks ready. Can't wait to see what's next. Probably when he ends up starting tag teams, we'll never see it again, but who knows. <laughs> so next we have the referee we were talking about, Rich. Yep. He comes in to join the TNT set, and I believe he's booed. I kind of had neutral feelings about that. But after the interview, I think I understood a little better why they were booing him. He was more of a Nick Patrick than a Charles Robinson. Ah. And as soon as the referee sits down, Vince says, let's go to a tape where we see him referee. My thought was, we just watched an 11-minute match of him refereeing. Not really much more you wanted to see. I want to point out some blown calls that I commentated for and called them correctly and you didn't. Let's go to that. I believe Lord Alfred Hayes takes a couple shots as well. And then once we get back from the clip, Vince asks him about being intimidated and does he feel that with him being intimidated, does this allow the opponent to get away with breaking the rules more versus a babyface that isn't so intimidating? He answers, he admits that he does get intimidated, but he doesn't give a clear answer whether he lets him get away with certain things or not, which is probably a good thing for him. Yeah, it's kind of kayfabe, Vince. Why are you asking this kind of question, man? I guess that's interviewing for your own job there. So a lot of these things kind of are secretly or evaluations. And he does say that he always parks two blocks away due to the fans coming at him with chains and not wanting to get into the rumble when he makes a bad call or a call that the audience does not want to agree with. Also wise. Did you have to park two blocks away when you did your refereeing? Surprisingly, even though it was in Mount Airy, I did not. Nice. Yeah. Do you have any commentary, you being a referee and all, about Rick's, Rich's interview here on the TNT set? Could you relate with him? Definitely wouldn't see that kind of stuff on Raw, like old Cole or someone do a sit-down interview with one of the refs. That never happens. If it ever happens, it was probably more when uh, referees were on the take, like Million Dollar Man or something like that. They usually don't play too many big roles that involve the refs. They're kind of the man behind the curtain. You're not supposed to notice them for the most part. I don't think I'd want to do an interview like that. I'd be like, what the hell are you doing? Kayfabe, dude. Don't be pointing me out. 
I already get enough death threats. You think I need people now looking at me now that you've mentioned stuff? So that's a very dangerous job. Can be, yeah. You go to a different type of training than you do for the wrestling. Very interesting. You see the bumps they take. It's crazy. I wonder if there's the best of referees getting knocked out for wrestling montage. The, I don't want to do too many spoilers for maybe people that and watch the brawl to end it all, but there is a big ref bump in that, and you'll be surprised on who gives it. Ooh. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. So next up on the show, we get to meet our favorite jobber or enhancement talent or sunshine. Isn't that what you called him? Sunshine? Sons? He is Sunshine Delivery John. There you go. The other guy that's the mailman, special delivery. That's him. Currently the most important wrestler in LGN Wrestling Superstars history. Did you know on eBay, this guy had his own figure back in 85, 86, and it is one of the most expensive wrestling figures out there. I remember that figure. It's crazy. I had Big John Studd and Hulk Hogan of those figures. I still have Big John Studd. It looks like it's been with me for as long as it has. Hulk Hogan, I don't know what happened to that guy. But yeah, he's selling anywhere from $235 for both outfits, because apparently he came with two. A red shirt with blue attire, and then a Hawaiian festive shirt with blue attire. And if you want both, this one person selling them for $235. Seems more popular ones, the red and blue. It's going for $99 and $89 is the cheapest that I see currently. But yeah, that yellow one, there's only one other person selling the yellow one. It's going mint condition, I suppose, still in the wrapper. Yeah, these are tops. I didn't want to go used. I saw some of the used ones on here. Make my Big John stud look like it's in better shape. But yeah, these are all still in the package. One of them, the package is kind of a little messed up. Dog ear corner, but other than that, these all look like they just came right off the shelf. Yeah, I got one of the used ones, but he's missing the head, so uh, I'm still going to go about 200 or submit a best offer. Yeah, a lot of these have best offers, so maybe you can talk them down. This one guy has his in the new, but they're out of the package. He just has like the backing or the poster that came with it and the little cardboard cutout profile. It's like, dude, that's not new. Don't try to pull that off. This is what it was like back in the 80s. They didn't give us everything. They were weird figures. You could actually bounce them. They were kind of rubbery so they would bounce pretty good and when they got old they were molded so they didn't actually wear down they're just the paint came off so it's kind of weird you'd see a guy's boot painted the same color as the skin after the first layer of paint wore off well there's his toes like that yeah, i remember them gi joe's were durable yeah surprisingly. built to last so speaking of sd jones he does join the tnt set and vince has some questions for him vince asks him he says we noticed that your career is catapult and he asks sd why he thinks that is. Vince is watching different matches than we've been watching. <laughs> yes. I think it's the mailbag. I think that's what he's been based that off of. <laughs> SD states that he does everything he can to keep his career going. Uh, he watches tapes and listens to other wrestlers. He's originally from the Isle. Oh, I'm sorry, the Islands. Oh, I like Isle better. Okay. He's, Isle 12. He's from the Isle. <laughs> Clean up. <laughs> and he was asked how long it's been since he's been actually been back home because of all the touring and all the charity work and everything that he does with the wrestling ring and traveling. He said he hasn't been back since 1969 was the last time he was actually there and I believe it was 84 at the time of taping so that would have been about 15 years that he has been away from home on the road or in Philadelphia and even through many injuries he still keeps on trying. He never gives up and he does speak about talking to an old timer about all the old timers were just wanting to get to the guy. Once you got there it didn't matter and he says the new generation of wrestlers which he included himself in stated that he wants the championship. He wants that belt. He don't care about anywhere. He's been to my square guard. He said 10,000 times. He does 
doesn't matter to him. He wants that belt. I'd like to go on record that I think his charity and touring is he sets up the ring and they don't pay him for it. Slow blow. <laughs> I'm just going off what I see on TV, man. Moving on. <laughs> They show a clip of S.T. Jones versus Dan Grieve. Yeah, it looks like it. I think that's right. And it's a singles match, so we know the outcome of this already. Dan Grieve finally gets his first win. <laughs> it is Mean Gene and Alfred Hayes on commentary. And it was a very quick match when I was watching. I knew it was a singles match, so I knew it was going to be a victory. I didn't get too much on the details. From what i seen, it looked like he threw a left, a right, a left, a headbutt. And it was a 1-2-3 victory. So he was in and out quicker than my trip to the kitchen. <laughs> literally blinked and I miss it. It must have been well he's here and this other guy's here let's go and throw them out there and let him have a match and make it quick. It was quick. He delivered. He delivered a quick match that's for sure. Special deliver. Next day air is what that was. Quicker than Amazon. <laughs> so moving on. As we come back Lord Alfred Hayes reads viewer mail. Now this isn't our typical viewer mail. Nobody was harmed during the scene and there were no ladies given the mail. I was disappointed by this. Not very happy. But Vince did manage to bring me a little bit happy by bringing the big Hulk finger and telling him to read the mail. He was ready for the mail, putting that little, the yellow Hulk Hogan finger in Lord Alfred's face. And Lord Alfred made the comment that it's funny that that was an explosive finger because this is TNT wrestling. It's funny that they had a red and yellow thing, but yet all the clips we've seen, Hogan has yet to don the red and yellow. Hmm. Might be the first thing that they started marketing. And then after that, he's going to start wearing red and yellow. Who knows? If next episode's mailbag is, hey, where can I get one of them fingers? We knew they were beta testing. That was quality assurance yeah. right there. And the question was from Parkersburg, Wyoming. They state, I don't think they gave a name. Where I live up here, there's nothing to do in Parkersburg, Wyoming, but watch TNT. And they stated that they were going to be traveling to Los Angeles and want to know if they could meet any of the wrestlers while they were in Los Angeles. Big John. And Jesse the Body. Yep. Hulk Hogan's from Venice Beach. I'm sure he'll be hanging around. Go on there. Meet Sting. Vince states that the next guest likely made Parkersburg, considering his old timer. And he never really answers the question while in L.A. if they would meet any of the wrestlers because they did not venture out in that territory often. So I'm sure they didn't really have a clue. I would like to go on record that I think this gave way that the questions were not from true viewers. As you look up Parkersburg, there is no Parkersburg, Wyoming. Vince was right when he said West Virginia and corrected Mr. Lord Alford, but Lord Alford insisted it was Wyoming. Oh, this is from Parkersburg, wherever, Wyoming. Where I live up here, pardon, no, Wyoming. Wyoming. Parkersburg, Wyoming. <laughs> right. Google Maps said there is no Parkersburg, Wyoming. Just West Virginia. Oh, take that, Englishman. How else would Vince possibly know that unless it isn't on the writing of the question? Touche. But this made a great segue for Mr. Tony Altamore. Legendary. Very legendary. After that, he comes in and they cut to a match with Sonny King, Chief Strongbow versus Baron King with Baron and King Curtis from Hawaii. This was supposed to be a nostalgic trip for Mr. Altamore and... And for Vince McMahon, I got lost on the nostalgia trip because there was no clear-cut winner as they cut back to the studio before we could see the exact pin. The winner was... We don't know! Awesome. Indeed. I got tripped up because one of the guys looked like uh, Titus O'Neil, so I thought maybe I was watching time travel or something. Ah, 
yeah. that must have been the Baron, because I believe he was on the King Curtis's side. Or, as he's known to us, as Titus O'Neil. Yep. Yes. So as we cut back from the tape, Tony Altamore talks a little more. He claims that Lord Alfred Hayes was his favorite wrestler growing up, and they do show a picture of Lou... Captain Lou. Captain Lou. Lou Albano. Captain Lou, with no beard and much skinnier when they did tag team matches. Very interesting picture. Please go look. Yes, the eyebrows look fake. Mm-hmm. Then next we see a Sicilian suit match there in his tag team era. And then he talked about how Lou started turning more into being more materialistic and more money hungry. And he wanted to move out of the tag team match and move on to management instead of wrestling. And I feel that he's a little bitter about that, even to this day, still a little bitter. As he should be. He does say that's eventually that's how they drifted apart as a tag team. We've all heard of Captain Lou and we're on episode six and we're just now seeing this guy. So we know who won. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And they leave for a break. And when they come back, we see SD Jones again. He has decided to welcome us with his Calypso band. And he decides that he wants to play one of the steel drums. Now, listening to this, I kind of felt a nostalgia trip myself to going back to the NES Mario Brothers music. Where they fade out to commercial. And then when we come back, we do see Lord Alfred Hayes in this huge jacket. The sleeves were about two inches too long. And the jacket runs all the way down to his knees. And it was very ugly jacket. And we find out it is no other than Andre the Giant's jacket. And before we are able to meet the Giant, Vince McMahon has a tape for us. It is Andre the Giant versus Alexis Smirnoff. And it is Mean Gene Okerlund and Vince McMahon on commentary. And you can tell them too because regardless where you are, which one city, Smirnoff's gonna be there one day and I'll step your brain out with my big Cousat. Cousat? Yes. With my big Kuzak. Good old Black Saturday. It's probably the most memorable thing from Black Saturday that I can remember. Mr. Smirnoff's great interview. Still wondering what a Kuzak is. I'm going to assume his shoe. I think Mean Gene knows. Or his foot. That's what he wants you to think. Or something else. We don't know. <laughs> so as we join the match, it is in progress, of course. Jip. And it picks up with Smirnoff has Andre in a double back arm hold. Smirnoff manages to work Andre to the ground. Andre manages to work out of it and recovers with a headbutt, which sends Smirnoff flying out of the ring, which gives Andre time to recover, which is a mistake. Smirnoff manages to get back in the ring and Andre delivers another giant headbutt, which knocks him down on the ring. Then Andre heads for the ropes, does a running sit down, and claims victory over Mr. Smirnoff himself and his big kushta. Dang, Smirnoff. Maybe a big Kazakh. We'll get him next time. After that, we finally get to see the giant himself. Gets on before Hogan. Kudos. Oh, as he enters the settler, he is smiling and he is very excited to be there, it appears. And as he steps up on the set, Alfred is very quickly to stand in front of him, I guess, for size comparison. And it appears that Alfred doesn't even come up to his belly. It doesn't seem like you really see the size of him on the set. How big he is, tall, wide, hands, everything. Even wearing his jacket that Mr. Alfred Hayes had on originally. And Vince McMahon speaks to Andre about a movie that he was in. And that Big John Stud was also in the movie as well. And Andre proceeded to let Vince McMahon know that he was not a favorite. The Big John Stud was definitely on his list. That's the same one that Chris Jericho has, or is that a different one? Um, I believe Chris is from is Chris from Alberta or Quebec. He's from Canada. I don't remember exactly what Providence. Okay, I'm sure he knows French. So yes, close enough. Yep. We'll we'll take it. And then Vince McMahon speaks about Andre traveling the world because he has been everywhere 
water and singing about everything. And he speaks of Japan, about how he gains the most weight when he's over in Japan. The X-Men man wonders why, because it's just rice and fish. But since he's such a big man, he's so tall, towers over most of the Japanese people, that they want to feed him pretty much 24 hours a day. Gotta make sacrifices. Just to watch him eat. To the gods. Godzilla comes in your town, you sacrifice whatever he needs. Indeed, I concur on that. Make them happy. And then he goes on to say that all of his clothes is made from Japan. Everything's custom except for his boots. And he proceeds to place his foot on the desk of Vince McMahon. The boot comes up to about Vince McMahon's nose. It is ridiculously big. And in America, there's only one place where big things are. Texas. Texas. That's right. Texas. And once he finally gets his boot back down, Vince asks him to compare hands with Alfred so people at home can see how big his hand is. And Andre just engulfs Alfred's whole head with his one hand. Very scary sight. They cut the break, but just before they cut the break, they say that Andre the Giant would like to sing a song. Karaoke. Karaoke time with the big man. So when they come back in, he comes up on stage. He tells the band to play really slow and really light. So he gets the microphone, stands up there, and he tells the band again, no, 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 softer, slower. He tells Vince McMahon to come up and join him. And when a seven foot four, 500 pound giant says, do something, you do it. So Vince McMahon made his way up to the stage with Andre the Giant. And he finally, finally gets the music just like he wants it. Gets the beat just like he wants it. And I believe he calls over Kathy, one of the stage people. I believe that's who he calls over to help hold the microphone for him so he could sing the fish song and then he proceeds to mimic the fish opening his mouth like a fish and acting like he's swimming and in that segment i think it really shines and really kind of brings out his personality of who he really is that he really is larger than life and that he just likes to have fun pretty much anywhere he goes he tries to make people laugh make people smile to try to compensate for how big and scary he looks on the outside yeah, he's a funny funny guy can't wait for that documentary to come out to try to learn some new things about him that maybe I haven't seen before. I think it will be very informational, especially for the new generation. I think if it does well, they might move along their other wrestling project that they've had on the back burner for a while, so it might be beneficial if it does well. Might get a mini-series out of it for this other wrestling project they've been talking about. I look forward to it. And now we'll move on to our final match, which is the Kamala versus Jose Luis Rivera. Coaches the Panthers, I think. I think you're right. I guess the wrestling gimmick didn't cut out for him. Yep. Dropped all that and just kept the Rivera and changed his name to Ron so people wouldn't remember him. Good idea. I don't blame him. So we start off the match and they introduce Luis Rivera and we see Kamala coming out and he has the tribal mask. He has the belly painted. I believe the belly has a half moon on it, the crescent moon, and he has the stars up on his upper chest, collarbone, and he comes out in a very tribal, very stereotypical jungle person. Once Kamala finally gets in the ring after taking Pollendorf time, taking off his apparel, He's actually managed by Handler and Freddie Blassie. Kamala starts off the match very aggressively with chops. And every time he chopped and Rivera fell, he would slap his belly. Much like Mike Tyson's punch-out characters. Whenever you hit, they would smack you or beat you. They would do a mocking kind of a ha-ha-ha. There was a lot of slapping going on, but it was mainly belly slaps, not so much Rivera slaps. Yeah, Kamala's one of those guys that I admired when I was a little kid. I thought he was kind of funny because he'd always pin people wrong. He'd get on their back and try to pin him and his handler would always have to tell him flip him over flip him over kind of his running stick and he did that stick very well <laughs> 
This is a quick match. He proceeds to chop him and then he lands on his belly. Mr. Rivera, that is. And with two belly flops to the back, he does manage to roll him over this time. And he picks up the victory over Jose Rivera. And now we move on to next week. Good old next week, episode 7. No special editions for a change. We got Adrian Adonis, Dick Murda, our reigning tag team champions. Captain Lou, Ivan Paduski, what Jesse called him. First Jesse Ventura in an arm wrestling. And we had some singing. Now it's time to go back to culture. We're going to learn about Native American culture with Chief J. Strongbow. I'm excited, to say the least. That makes one of us. We were kind of lacking in Captain Lou, I think it's been like two shows since they had had him on there, so I'm glad he's back. And that's going to bring life to the party, as they say. Like the third host. Oh, he's the man. I mean, he made Cindy Lauper. Yes, he did. So as we wrap up this podcast, I want to say that listening to Tony Atlamore envying Lord Alfred Hayes as his favorite wrestler, I will post a link when this podcast goes live of Lord Alfred Hayes wrestling. Give you something to watch and feed your brain. And I will post the eBay links for SD Jones. Maybe one of you will be the lucky owner of a 1984-85 SD Jones LGN wrestling figure. I may or may not be one of the sellers. You never know. Gotta fund this podcast somehow. (laughs) What do you want? You keep touching my leg. Well, until next week, remember to download often. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your friends of your family. Follow us on social media. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the tag team podcast. On Twitter, at tag team podcast. On Google Plus, The Tag Team Podcast. Email us at thetagteampodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail on the tagline. 6016544 tag that's 6016544824. You can also listen on SoundCloud by searching The Tag Team Podcast. Thank you for listening to The Tag Team Podcast. Join Jeff and John next week as they continue to break down WWF Tuesday Night Titans. I don't care how big you are, you have to feel that. <laughs>